now tuned in to the Meesey Muse Unplugged, a pop-up podcast variety show helping consultants along their journey to greatness with your host, management consultant, author, and blogger, Christy Lindor. Getters, welcome to the Meesey Muse Unplugged podcast show. For today's episode, we will be doing a segment that I call Quick Wins. It's actually the campus edition. And if this is your first time tuning in, Quick Wins are where we have an opportunity to connect with an individual discussing products, services, ideas, uh, anything related to helping you know people along uh, their journey as a consultant and helping them with their toolkit. For today's episode, I actually get a chance to connect with Sammy. Sammy is a campus recruiter specifically focused on hiring and selecting consulting candidate. So really cool um, episode. Um, can't wait to share the, the interview with you. Um, it is actually where this is episode 18 is our third installment of our Welcome Back to Campus series. So we've got one more, um, but excited to, to, to have today's conversation. I think you're going to find it extremely helpful, particularly if you're in the throes of a consulting interview or starting to go through the recruitment uh, season at this time. It'll be really helpful for you. Before we pivot, two things I want to kind of highlight um, with this episode, um, at, at just kind of the timing we are in at this moment. So I'm, I, I sit in, you know, in the U.S. where I'm, I'm in North America. I know I have go-getters listening to this show across the world, which is phenomenal. But I really wanted to pause. I want to set out my, my prayers and thoughts with all of the people that's been recently affected by a lot of the hurricanes and the earthquakes. So, I mean, across up and down the North American, you know, kind of landscape, we've just had a lot of really, really tragedies happening. But at the, at the same time with tragedies, I, I've definitely seen demonstrations of human resilience and people coming together, which is great. Um, but I wanted to shout out, you know, the people in Texas, in Florida, in all of the Caribbean um, islands that were affected, um, most recently it was, you know, the Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico, St. Martin, Anguilla, St. Croix, Dominica, Barbuda, Cuba, Turks and Caicos. Um, I know Haiti was affected a, a bit. There was the earthquake in Mexico. So I wanted to shout out all of, um, you know, people out there. You know, I, I definitely would keep you in my thoughts and prayers and go-getters, if you if you know someone that's been affected, please reach out to them. If you know that someone may have had family, you know, go ahead and check on check in on them. Um, I, I would also recommend, you know, during this time, you know, we walk kind of together. Really check out helping, you know, whether if it's monetarily or if you can give. Um, if you, you know, it's a great time to be able to 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 kind of donate because people are gonna are really gonna be rebuilding their lives and they need a lot of stuff. So I wanted to 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 kind of mention. I know there's the American Red Cross, there's the Catholic Charities Organization, Salvation Army is pretty great, both for not only for for financial donations but also for if you've got clothes or you've got you know different kind of household types of products, things that people are going to need to rebuild their lives. Now go-getters is really the time to do so. So please check them out. Also be wary. There are, um, there are kind of, you know, with these types of times, sometimes, unfortunately, some people take advantage. So you want to be leery and make sure that you are giving, but you're giving to credible organizations. So, so definitely take heed to that. So that was kind of one thing I wanted to mention, just, just kind of where we are right now in the world to really kind of put my thoughts out for people affected. Secondly, 
Well, today's episode, we, we actually, I, I we were having a little bit of technical issues, so you're going to have to forgive some of the uh, the technical kind of um, small glitches we have. The interview came out great, and you're going you're gonna to learn amazing things from Sammy, but I wanted to put that out there as well. So with that, enjoy. And so I'm, I'm really super psyched to introduce and welcome Sammy to the show. So Sammy, thank you again for taking time to join us on the Macy Muse Unplugged today. How are you doing? I'm great, Christy. Thanks so much for having me. I, like I said earlier, it's my first podcast, so I'm excited to be a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know this is going to be a very popular episode because, you know, the one thing that candidates, you know, that are looking to go into consulting, they're always trying to understand insights of the process and how to demystify that. So again, I thank you so much for making time to, to connect. So before we get started, Sammy, maybe if you can just take a moment to introduce yourself to the go-getters of the MEC Muse Unplugged. Yeah, absolutely. So hi, everyone. Like Christy said, my name is Sammy. I've been in the recruiting world for just about eight years, really in a variety of different industries, but most recently and for the last several years in the professional services field. So really looking at folks like you, people that are looking to get into more of the consulting space. While I've done a couple other things in HR, recruiting has really been my focus and my excited area to focus on. So I'm, again, excited to talk with all of you guys. So I guess let's let's dive right in then. You know, Sammy, given your experience, you've got, you know, a lot of years of experience in, in the recruitment you know, field. Maybe you can just kind of share like a high level of, you know, what's kind of the typical recruitment process that you see, you know, candidates go through in the consulting arena? Yeah, definitely. So I think one thing to think about with consulting is that it's kind of a marathon run. Usually there's several rounds of interviews in the process, really to make sure that the company is getting to know you and all the main players have had a chance to interact with you and and get to know you a bit, but also for you to make sure that as someone wanting to get into the consulting field or into a certain company, you have lots of time to figure out if this is the right fit for you. So I think starting from the bare bones, you know, the the application, you know, making sure you follow each steps of the application process. I know companies I've worked at, it sometimes can be a little bit taxing and there's lots of different steps to follow, but that can sometimes be a test to make sure that you pay attention to detail, you're actually interested in this job, and you can you know, get everything in on time before the deadline that, that may or may not be posted. So I'll say if you see something out there that you're interested in, definitely apply and make sure that your resume is really represents you well, as well as follow each step in the application process, whatever that looks like. Probably some sort of online application, maybe some sort of survey or personnel information, whatever it is. After that, if yeah, that's really the first screen. So as a recruiter, what I do at that point is get all my resume, sometimes thousands of thousands, depending on what the job is, and really quickly go through those resumes. So I'm looking for standout items or red flags. Those standout items would obviously move you to the S pile. And those red flags would unfortunately move you to the no pile. Those red flags could be anything from major holes in your work experience that maybe um, aren't explained. Maybe if you're in college, maybe a really poor GPA, something like that. could be anything. So I would make sure, again, your resume really presents you the way that you 
would explain who you are in person. So some things that really I look for in a resume on the positive side are related work experience. Maybe that's uh, prior work in in a similar field. So for example, if you're trying to get into more financial services consulting, maybe you work at a bank or something like that, something related. If maybe, again, you're a college student and don't have related work experience yet, that's okay. We want to see more transferable skills, things that you could pull from unrelated fields or unrelated jobs, but you can tell us, I know this is important for consulting, so I'm going to make sure it's on my resume. Could be anything from, you know, food service. You're going to do a lot of teaming. You know, you're going to work with other people. You're probably going to have some customer service, definitely communication skills. All those things are super important for the consulting world. So if you're someone just starting your career and this might be your first professional experience, connect the dots for me as a recruiter. Make it really easy for me to see that you know what it takes to be a consultant and you show me that you have those skills. So that's probably one of the harder barriers to get through is that resume screen, mostly because some jobs can get, again, thousands and thousands of resumes. And we're probably only going to consider, you know, a handful or a small percentage of those. So once we go through that resume screen, usually there's some sort of an initial high level behavioral interview. That's really to verify and make sure that what's on your resume is actually who you are. You know, verifying that the jobs that you say you had are true, that you can talk about them intelligently. You know, if there are any red flags, but we were still impressed with your resume, we talk through those. It's more of an initial behavioral screening to get to know you. After that, sometimes there is another more traditional behavioral interview. Those are those, tell me about a time when questions. You know, tell me about a time when you were a leader or a team member or had a difficult situation come across your desk and how you dealt with those. Those are important. And we pretty much all companies use those behavioral interviews because a lot of people believe, including me, that past behavior predicts how you'll react in the future. So we want to know how you have dealt with things in the past. Either you've learned from them or you would do the same thing in the future. So those behavioral interviews are really important. And if we want to, we can talk more about that process, too. Usually, there's some sort of a a technical interview and or a case interview. And those are important to really understand your thought process. So while the behavioral is to get to know you, you know, you've already made it through the hard screening. We want to get to know you as a person. The technical or the and or the case is to make sure that you have the competencies, the technical mindset, or at least the right thought process to be able to do the job itself. And again, we can talk more about those technical interviews if we have time later today. At the end of the day, though, after several rounds of interviews, the team wants to make sure that you have what it takes to do the job that you're someone that's actually interested in the role, you know, subjectively meshes with the team, you know, it tends to click with the people that you could be working with. But at the end of the day, again, can can do the job. We're really making sure based on what we need for the role, you can check all those boxes and do that. So after you've had sometimes two, three, four rounds of interviews, depending on the company. Usually there's an offer that's given verbally. And if you have any questions or want to negotiate about that offer, that would be the time to do it. Not necessarily bringing up salary too early in the process, unless the recruiter does. But at the end, when you get the offer, would be the time to, to do some negotiating. And then, of course, accepting that offer and talking about timeline to get started with that company. So I know that was pretty high level. So Christy, if you want me to dive into anything more specifically, happy to do that. You gave such a really nice overview, Sammy. I do want to kind of highlight some some specific questions, you know, because for me, I 
I'm a little far removed from the recruitment process because I've, you know, usually, you know, been with, you know, my firm for quite some time. And so, you know, I had to actually ask, you know, younger consultants, like, what would be some questions you'd ask a recruiter? And they like gave me a couple of them. And I want to like ask you them as you just laid out so nicely the, the, the high level process. So, okay. you know, the first question, you know, that I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, kind of going back to the application piece. I've heard, you know, from from younger consultants or, you know, people looking to go into consulting, they'll say, well, you know, I'll go online and I'll read like a job description. And, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the requirements, they're like, well, you know, there's like 10 requirements on there, but I probably have like seven of them, you know, or they're looking for someone with like, you know, eight to 10 years of, 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 you know, X type of experience. I don't have eight to 10. I have like, you know, maybe like four or five, you know, for people like that, when you talked about like the standout pile versus the red flags, like, do you think they have a shot at a particular role if they don't like nail the requirements that you're looking for? Yeah. So a lot of times you'll probably notice too, in those job descriptions, they're very broad and pretty much anyone could think, yeah, I could do the majority of of what's listed there because we know we can look for a lot of different things. And then as you're getting to know the team or the the folks in the interviews, they can then say, okay, this person would be a better fit for X, Y, Z based on their skill set and background. So I would encourage that person to definitely apply because while that one posting that you see is eight to 10 years. Maybe they also have a position that's more of the four to seven year range, not posted yet, but when they see your resume or meet you, they would think, oh my gosh, we fill this other role without even trying. So while it's not necessarily a guarantee because sometimes those requirements are there on purpose and we really need someone legally to have a certain amount of years of experience, never let that discourage you from applying because you never know what might be coming in what we call our pipeline or our queue of other opportunities that we might be able to match you with, even though it might not be the exact one that you applied for. That's really good news. So go-getters out there, you know, it's worth to take a shot than no shot at all. So, you know, take take some of Sammy's advice and, and go for it and apply. And, you know, we talked about the, you know, that even if there's, if there's not a fit right now, I think one of the questions I heard was like, if, if, a, if a person doesn't hear from a firm, does that mean like, you know, their, their, their chances are shot. Like, you know, I think there's kind of sometimes skepticism, like, well, they say they keep their, you know, the application on file for like X amount of years, depending on the state's requirements or the, you know, the, the, the requirements of that. But, you know, do they really go back to, you know, those, those databases or do they look for fresh applications? Like, you know, is there, is there any kind of insights you can share with that? Yeah, definitely. I I tend to call it the black hole of HR that that a lot of candidates (laughs) feel like they fall into. And I will say pretty much all firms now, at least every firm or company that I've been associated with or worked with does have some sort of a database or an applicant tracking system, an ATS, you might hear it called, that we can absolutely pull from that it might not even be related to the job that you're applying for. So while yes, we do look at those fresh resumes and we are using technology, raking the applicants to see you know, what who might be out there looking. We do also do keyword searches in our entire database to see who else might pop up. So if we're looking for a specific technology skill set, or if we're looking for maybe someone who has a a specific background, or 
I don't know. So anything, we, we can search those keywords. And then yes, you will pull up in those searches. Remember that depending on the size of the firm you're applying for, you could be amongst thousands and thousands and thousands of other applicants. So definitely make sure that any keywords that you see in job descriptions, things that you're interested in, those keywords should also be in your resume or your cover letter or the application itself. So they'll be pulled in those searches. So if we say in the job description, you know, we need someone who has, I don't know, SQL experience or you know, strong communication skills, probably something more specific than that. If you don't have SQL in your resume or communication or something like that, you won't pull on those searches. So definitely make sure to pull out those keywords in job descriptions or what you're seeing frequently and what the firm is looking for. Make sure those keywords are in your resume. So that way, like you said, Christy, if it, maybe it's not a good fit right now, but we're doing a search in the future, you'll be pulled because you have those keywords in your application. Hey, go-getters. Have feedback on today's show? Questions on consulting? Want to be a guest? We'd love to hear from you. Just drop us a line at mecmuseunplugged at gmail. That's mecmuseunplugged at gmail.com. You can also show us your support by downloading episodes, spreading the word to friends and family, or leaving us a review. Remember, Meesey Muse Unplugged is a pop-up podcast, which means we'll stick around as long as we continue to hear from you. Thank you for your support. Now back to today's show. That's helpful to hear. You touched on the cover letter. You know, that's another question that I, I get asked sometimes actually from my mentees is, you know, does the cover letter really matter anymore? You know, given your your, your experiences, Sammy, like share, share some thoughts on like, you know, does it really make sense to invest a lot of time in creating like a really crisp cover letter or is it really about the, the truly about the resume? I would say nowadays, it's definitely more about the resume. But when I see a cover letter, I definitely read it because I don't see them as often anymore. So I think it's a way to make yourself Mm. stand out in that interview process. You know, it's, I would say with those cover letters, I tend to see more mistakes in those than in a resume. So for example, you might just be changing, you know, dear so-and-so at firm X. You might forget to change firm X to firm Y. And that can be a really big red flag for some folks. So I would say if you're going to do those cover letters, to use your word, Christy, make them crisp, make them sharp, make make sure they're pulling in the keywords and adding to your resume. Don't let it be just a repeat of what's in your resume. Maybe there's something you want to explain or further develop that you couldn't fit into your resume or maybe wouldn't make sense as just a bullet point. That's when you should add a cover letter to further explain things. I'll tell you, some recruiters don't read cover letters. They do just look at resumes. But for me and for some of the folks that I've talked to, we don't see them much anymore. So when I, if I get one, I definitely take the time to read it because I'm hoping that it'll tell me something more or different than what I'll see in your resume. That's insightful. I, I, I didn't know that. Well, I guess I'm going to move on to my my next question. You you kind of in in you know in your overview you laid out like the different kind of the common types of interviews. In your opinion and, and experience, Sammy, like which which interview would you say like really becomes like the defining make or break for a recruiting uh, you know a candidate that's in the in the process? Is there one that outweighs another, or do you you know from your vantage point they're all kind of weighted the same? Yeah, I think that really depends on the company's process. Overall, I think they're all weighted the same. But if you completely bomb one of them, I think it could have a detriment no matter what interview it's in. I think a lot of people put 
too much pressure on that technical or case interview. They think that's the make or break. And I would say not necessarily. We know that especially starting out your career, maybe haven't done a lot of case interviews or technical interviews before, you can be nervous or not necessarily knowing what to expect. We're really listening for a thought process more than anything else. So again, I think kind of demystifying the thought that the case is the most important. It's important. Don't get me wrong, but it's not going to make or break. Even if you get the wrong answer, if you're showing that you have the competency to think through the problem that you're given and and come to some resolution, even if, again, it's not necessarily the exact answer we're looking for. I think those behavioral interviews, you'll probably have more of those because people are more comfortable with those, even on the interviewing side. I think those are super Mm -hmm. important because we want to make sure we're getting to know you. In those behavioral interviews, definitely practice. I think a lot of people come in very well rehearsed and and kind of can anticipate what we're going to ask. That's good. But if you come across just or excuse me, unauthentic or you know, too rehearsed, we don't get to know the real you. And that's what those behavioral interviews are for. In consulting, it's very much a people business. It's all about trust, connections, you know, resonating with people. And so we're testing that in those behavioral interviews to see if we feel that connection with you. We know you're nervous. We know you know it's not going to be a perfect process, but we want to make sure we're getting to know you verifying what's on paper is actually true, as well as seeing if we could see you you in front of the client and getting comfortable with you on our team. So I would say to answer your question, Christy, those behavioral interviews are probably more important than the case because it's more telling towards what, you know, the everyday of a consultant sitting across the table from strangers and getting them to build that, that trust with you. Right. And, and I could I could definitely see that, you know, just me, I've, I've been part of different recruiting efforts, you know, and, and I could definitely see how that is weighted. So, you know, one question I, you know, that I, I do get as well is, you know, from a recruitment perspective, like what are some of the common pitfalls or observations you've seen, you know, candidates do that, you know, could really, you know, unintentionally harm their candidacy, you know? So what are, you know, obviously I think the, the, the obvious one is like the resume. So if there's like typos in the resume and stuff, like you said, that's like a red flag and it gets, you know, kind of put to the side. What are some others that like people may not realize are, are, are important and can really jeopardize their, their chances? Yeah. I think I mentioned one already and it's probably my biggest pet peeve and probably the one people don't think about is not coming across authentic in that interview. We see, at least in the, in the college space, when those career services office are doing such a good job prepping people, we, they come out of the interview and myself or the folks doing the interview say, I mean, he was very polished, but I don't feel like I got to know him. I feel like he told me mm. what he I wanted to hear versus how we actually thought about that question. So I think a, a big pitfall that people see is if you're not coming across as as yourself or authentic or you know real to make it you know really boil it down, that comes across as negative. That comes across as what are you hiding? You know, are you even comfortable in your own skin? Which again, as a consultant got to be confident, got to be comfortable. So I said, that's another big pitfall is too rehearsed or just coming across inauthentic. The third one I think is you usually at the end of an interview, get an opportunity to ask questions to that interviewer. And I think some people think that's the time to come up with these really crazy questions to not necessarily stump the interviewer, but to sound uber intelligent. 
Good questions are very important, especially as a consultant. But if if you're asking something that the interviewer can tell you don't actually care about the answer to that question, you just want to sound good, that's a pet peeve because now they have to answer a question they can tell you don't really care about. And so they're wondering, are you going to do this on the client side too? We want to answer questions that you're legitimately thinking about. So again, prepare, come with things you want to know, but come with things you actually want to learn more about versus, you know, getting on the website, seeing the first thing and and asking about that, or trying to be super creative when we know you don't actually care about the answer to that question. For me, it all comes down to being genuine, being who you are. You've made it through those initial screenings, the hard part, the gatekeepers, that you're actually qualified and look good for the job. Now let's get to know you. Now let's together decide if this is the right spot for you. All makes sense for sure. So my next question for you, Sammy, is a twofer. So, you know, given the years of experience, I'm sure you've seen a lot of different, like, candidate types. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so what would you say, you know, on one end, would would you say, like, is an example of, you know, an amazing candidate that you said, you know, came off authentic, you know, did all the right things, was just polished. Like, if you can maybe give a story about, like, what was, like, one that was amazing and, like, knocked it completely out the park versus, you know, maybe one that was, like, like awkward or is just, the, you know, the person just completely bombed. If you can kind of give the, the two stories, it'd be great. Yeah, definitely. So I think the, the first, I'll go with the, the good one first to kind of set the stage. So like you said, Christy, I've talked with probably thousands at this point of, of candidates. And I'll, I'll speak from the perspective of that initial screening, that first behavioral interview, since that's as a recruiter, that's usually what I do, as opposed to later when you're talking with the team, that's when they're doing more of the technical interviews because they know what they're looking for on their team. So first behavioral interview, student came in was very nervous. I could tell was very nervous. Probably one of the first interviews he had done. He was in college and kind of took me a while to warm him up. So I kind of started off as a negative interview because I felt like I couldn't really crack his shell. I couldn't really learn a little bit about who he was. But over the course of the, I don't know, 30 minutes that we talked, he asked me questions all throughout the interview. So it was much more of a professional conversation. It wasn't like he took over the interview, but all throughout the, mm-hmm. the questions I had, he then would ask me about that question or about how that would be done at the firm. It definitely became evident to me quickly after about that five minute warm up time that this person was very interested in this position, had done a lot of research about the industry, the company. He understood what the role would be. So his questions were more around, is this the right fit for me? As a consultant, you know, you have to be able to ask good questions. That's really what you're there for is to have active listening skills, ask good questions and help that client come to a resolution with whatever their problem is. And I felt like at the end of our interview, he was showing, he was demonstrating to me, he was already doing that just by asking me questions about the questions I was asking him. So I think his insightful questions, I think the way that he was able to kind of calm his nerves and kind of come on the same playing field of having a conversation with me was really impressive, especially as someone, again, probably one of his first or second interviews he's ever had for a professional opportunity. So I think those are all qualities that I would look for in more of an entry-level candidate. I'll tell one more story of more of an experienced candidate to give that perspective as well. So this is another good, a good candidate. So similar thing, you know, this was a phone interview. That last example was in person. Phone interviews can be a little bit more challenging because you don't have any non-verbal cues to go off of, of this person. So in this conversation with this candidate, 
pretty similar, had, had a lot of questions for me. He was, you know, had other life things going on, like a family and different things that he had into his equation. So we talked about the job, but more than that, about the culture of the company. He was really looking for a fit. He was really looking for his next step in his career. And that was really insightful for me because we were looking for people at that firm, uh, people that want to be here a while. You know, he was coming into a more senior level position, kind of middle management, if you will. And so we were looking for someone who wouldn't turn over quickly. So the fact that the questions he was asking me showed that he was looking for somewhere to kind of plant as well was really helpful for me to see where his mindset was at versus just another stepping stone to wherever it was he wanted to be. So I think I keep saying this, but it comes down to to being authentic, asking good questions and showing who you are in those interviews. On the flip side of that, I've had lots of candidates who come across like they know everything. So when this one example, had the student come in, another campus example, the student came in, very nice, you know, very easy to talk to. But over the course of our interview, answered all my questions very well, but did not seem interested in the job, was, you know, very frank to talk about what his wants and needs were in a company different than how that experienced candidate I told you before, who was looking for the right fit and had some wants and questions. This candidate was all about the attitude that came across was, I know everything. I'm, you know, a top candidate. What can you give me versus what can I learn from your firm? So to me, that was a big red flag because this person would come in as a staff, you know, a more entry level candidate and would be part of a team, would not likely be the leader right away, would likely get tasks that maybe are less glamorous for the first couple of months so that he could learn the foundation of the firm and the foundation of the processes. And it was a big red flag for me to hear that this person probably wouldn't like those jobs, probably would complain and felt like he was more important than maybe that job or the, the actual day-to-day work of that job for the first few months would entail. So for me, that was not a team player. That was someone that I would not feel comfortable sending to a client because he would not want to roll his sleeves up and do whatever it takes to get the job done. So that was probably not a you know, crazy negative example, but I think a pitfall that some people might not see and might come across the wrong way. Confidence is important, but this went too far. Interesting. You know, this is actually, I, for me, you know, I, this is a lot of learning. I, I've never, there's a lot of things you mentioned that I actually wasn't, wasn't aware of. So, so thank you for sharing these amazing insights. I have one more question because I know we are up for time. Last question is around salary negotiation. So you talked about, you know, at the end of a, most processes, you know, if, if there, an offer is being extended, it's usually verbal. And then that's where the negotiation takes place. So quick question there. You know, do you do you expect as a recruiter, do you expect people to negotiate their salary or do you expect like what what the offer that the, you know, the firm, the base offer the firm offer, you know, provides is what you're expecting people to like accept? Yeah. So I would say it never hurts. If it's, even if you feel like that's a good place to be, it never hurts to negotiate a little bit or, or talk about it. I, my first manager ever out of college was an HR manager. She was pretty intense woman, had been doing her job for probably 40 years at that point. She told me that she always lowballs because she wants to see how much that person will push back on her. And if they don't and still accept, hey, she saved the firm money. So while that might sound devious or maybe a little bit deceptive, she wanted to see if this person would push back on her. And usually if they did and did it in a professional way, she could always come up on the salary. 
that's for more experienced level positions. For most firms, at least the one I work at, which is in the big four, we have set salaries for our entry-level staff hires. These will be people fresh off of campus, we'll say. That means we can't negotiate. You can try. It never hurts to ask. It never hurts to go for it. But at our entry-level positions, their set salaries and don't change. That might not be the same for all firms. So again, never hurts to ask. What I would caution you in is trying to negotiate too early. That can come across as a big red flag and being a little bit greedy. A lot of times, if there is some room for negotiation, a recruiter might ask you in one of the initial conversations, okay, what are your salary expectations? I would have a range ready. I wouldn't say a number. I would say a range and have the number you're hoping for be somewhere in that range, maybe in the middle. So if you're hoping for I don't, I'll make this up, $40,000 a year for your starting salary. Maybe when the recruiter asks you, what's your salary expectation? Say, I don't know, anywhere from like 35 to 42, something like that. So that way you're comfortable with that number. But you gave yourself a little bit of room if they want to go higher than that. Again, more entry-level positions likely have less opportunity for negotiation, but it never hurts to ask. I just wouldn't push for it until you actually get an offer, hear the number, and then talk about any concerns or questions or do some negotiating at that point. And with that, that actually wraps up, you know, my my question, Sammy, this is this is super helpful. Any last like remarks or thoughts that you want to share with, you know, the go-getters on recruiting in a, in a role? Any, any last thoughts? Yeah, I would just say that in any role, regardless of the level you're at, people want to bring people on the team who want to be a sponge, who want to learn, who are excited about the job. So if you can portray that in in any interview, behavioral, technical case, showing that this is the job that you want and this is the right fit for you, that's always going to come across in a positive way. Be yourself, you know, be excited, and hopefully it'll help you in the interview process. Thank you so much, Sammy, for joining us today. I, I, I feel like there's just so many other questions and, you know, it would be great. I would love to invite you back because I'm sure, you know, people listening to this are going to have like, you know, a lot of other questions. So would you be willing to come back on the show and join for like a part two? I would love to. That would be great. So this is great. Thank you so, so much. I I really wish I had this type of insight in the earlier parts of my career. So I I think you're going to, you're going to help a lot of people with this. So thank you again. And go-getters, if you have any particular question or feedback, feel free to drop us a line at mesemuseunplugged at gmail.com. I would like to, again, thank Sammy for being on the show today. And thank you, my go-getters, for tuning in. This is Christy Lindor signing out for the Misi Muse Unplugged Pop-Up Podcast. And here is to your journey to greatness. Tune in every Friday for new episodes syndicated on iTunes, Google Play Music, and many more. Visit www.misimuse.com for more information.